Welcome to Coach House Talks. Well, good morning to you. It's good to be here. And as Jamie said, we're going to start or well, continue our look through Ecclesiastes. So um, what I want to say to you today is observe. There must be more to life than this. Okay? That's what I want to kind of just say, shout out to you right at the start. So if you missed it last week, you should be able to kind of keep up. So it's... Um, so one thing I've noticed in the world, and probably you've noticed as well, is that the rich never seem to be happy. They just want more money, don't they? They just want more. So the richest people in the world, they don't find happiness. They just want more money. They just, having riches drives a desire to have more riches. Those who have got the latest electronic gas, I almost looked at you then, Jamie. I looked at you then. Those that have the latest electronic gadgets, see, Jamie introduced me to this kind of stuff, are always enticed by the next generation of that same product. It becomes the must-have. And whole company's ethos is actually based on this desire that human beings just want the next generation of things. And it's a peculiar drive. Because it's peculiar to us as human beings. You don't see anybody else doing this. Just human beings. We chase the latest technology. We chase riches. However, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say this. This is all vanity or vapour. Meaningless if it doesn't produce a focus on God. And put us in mind that there is more to life than chasing riches, gadgets, and fame. I said last week as we started to look at Ecclesiastes that the writer who we, we're, we're going to identify as Solomon has set out to see what can be observed from life without reference or leaning upon God. Okay, so when you read Ecclesiastes, this is really, really important that we're reading a man's perspective with God just left to the side. Okay, so with his wisdom, He's sitting down and he's going, I am going to see what the meaning of life is and I'm going to see if all these things are observable and provable from the standpoint of just mankind. So what we read are his thoughts, not necessarily God's thoughts. And that's really important when we read Ecclesiastes. So he keeps using this phrase, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And what that basically means is, under the sun, not in the heavenlies under the sun, here on earth. And so to this end, Solomon observes these cycles in life, which, whilst they might have some benefit, are altogether meaningless in the grand scheme of things. The same notion that there must be more than this surfaces again and again. And the truth is, we see this in the world today. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon tells us. And actually, we will hear that reference in life today. We hear people say, there's nothing new under the sun. It's become a well-known phrase. And it's almost with sorrow that Solomon views the uselessness of all things that he observes without God in the equation. In this context, everything has no meaning, he says. It is meaningless or unchangeable, and he uses this Hebrew word, hevel, 
which basically means mist or vapour. It's something that man can't control. It's something that man can't grasp and get hold of and change. It goes on regardless. Now, as Christians, we often observe what we see going on around us in the world, whether it be the state of the world or the obvious inclinations of man's heart, and we say, what is the point of life without God? That's our reference point. Because we've been saved. We've come to a meaningful relationship with God through Jesus. So now we look at life and we go, what's the point of life without God? I don't get it. And that's the observable fact for us because actually we've got something going on other than just what we see going on around us in life. So Solomon takes that, what we have, and discards it a little bit and says, okay, I know the true value because he'll tell you at the end of Ecclesiastes, and he'll tell you actually all the way through. He tells you what the, the, the value of life is, but for the moment, what he's trying to say is, I'm going to just observe what man himself observes. So put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's not come to salvation in Jesus, and ask yourself, what did they see in the world? And actually, what you'll come to, the conclusion you'll come to, is they will see exactly what Solomon tells you they will see. Cycles of life that just go round and round and round and seem meaningless. Because without God, they are. What's the point without God? Why continue in such a manner? Why does people in the world continue in the way they're continuing when there's nothing to gain and there's everything to lose without Jesus? And Jesus makes this point vividly in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. So last week I referenced the Sermon on the Mount. So here we go again. This is all part of the kind of Jesus' preamble and his great big sermon that he's giving to his disciples. And he says this in Matthew 4.4, 4, what Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So yes, there's earthly things we need, but what makes sense is God. You need God. And God has given you his word, he's given you his examples, and he's given you something else, which we'll discover in a minute. So I was asked last week, after my first intro into Ecclesiastes, I was asked this question. Why, if all scripture is God-breathed and inspired, and I've said that this is man's thoughts, why is Ecclesiastes, which is written from a human wisdom and not divine, why is it included in the Bible? Good question. Well, the answer is actually taking the scripture they've started to quote at me and finishing it off. So the scripture quoted was from 2 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches, to, teaches us to do what is right. So what's Solomon doing here? He's writing stuff down saying, look, I want you to see observable facts in life and draw the same conclusion that I've drawn. It's meaningless without God. Solomon wants those who read his words of wisdom to learn from it, to realize the worthlessness of life set apart from God. Ecclesiastes presents us with how the world looks and thinks when its creator or its source is taken out of the equation 
and then offers practical solutions as to how to enjoy the substances of life before drawing us to the unavoidable conclusion that all of life points to God and true wisdom reveals the presence and purpose of God in our lives. Now, this is in harmony with the rest of Scripture. It's not at odds. It's actually in harmony with the rest of Scripture, which never shies away from painting a sometimes terrible picture of what man does. Why? Because it's the truth, and it reflects our standing without God. Read Scripture and find out what happens to the people of Israel when they abandon God. It doesn't make pretty reading. But it's there to show us that this is actually what we will do if we neglect taking God into our lives. We are sinners. All of us in here. Me, you, all of us. We're sinners. The only thing that makes us different is that we've accepted the grace or the grace and love of God sent through Jesus. That's the only thing that makes us different. But we're still sinners who have been forgiven our sins. But we're sinners trapped in cycles of sin, which go deeper and deeper and deeper if we don't do something about it. Just look at the progressive nature of man's sinful actions throughout the book of Judges. Now, if you ever want to read how degenerate man will go if you leave him to his own devices, read the book of Judges and see how on each successive cycle he gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And you get the end of Judges, it is very, very depressing where man will go if you take God out of the equation. It ends with man does exactly what he wants to do and sees fit in his own eyes takes God out completely and says, this is where I'm going to be. And Judges finishes with that. All the way through, God sent rescuer, 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 rescuer. And man goes, no, 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 no. Gets worse and worse and worse. And then he goes, I'm just going to do what I see fit in my own eyes. When I read scripture, that is a very depressing end to a book. Really depressing. Because it's actually without hope. We've stripped God out. And now we're without hope. And I thank God that he did not leave us in this state. And he gave Jesus as the answer to all of our or all of man's unrighteousness. See, I'm thankful that at this low point of man's rejection and sin at the end of Judges, it's followed by one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, Ruth. And it's no, to me, it's no mistake that it follows after Judges. So here's man. Man can do nothing about his cycle of sin. So God has to interject. And we have this beautiful story of Ruth, which comes to us at the end of Judges. And it shows us that God actually doesn't leave us and abandon us, but actually he has a plan to bring us to himself. And the book of Ruth is almost the New Testament in one book, if you read it. And this book of Ruth this book of restoration and healing, a book that finishes with the introduction. So when you read Ruth, if you look at the very end of Ruth, it ends with the, the genealogy of the line of David. It introduces the line of David. And King David, we know, also means that Jesus is on the horizon. 
So there we go, with a book of Judges, mankind can do nothing. And then God interjects and says, well, we'll just have this book of Ruth and we'll just stick it in there. And here is this book of Ruth that tells this beautiful story that God has not abandoned us, even when we have done the most atrocious things towards God. He doesn't abandon us. And he tells us that this line of David will produce a king who will last forever, who we know as Jesus. God interrupts the cycles of man constantly with his own repeated plans of correction, always pointing to Jesus. But the reason for pointing out all of our failures and the patterns that we see in life is so that we realize that we cannot do anything of ourselves. Judges tells you that even though rescuers are sent, man decides to do his own thing. So we need rescuing from ourselves. It's a tool which is used over and over again, all the way through Scripture. I'll show you how bad man is, but then I'll show you how good God is. Man needs God. God fulfills man. God gives life purpose. God is eternal, and the path to eternity with him is only through Jesus. We are lost and helpless without him. That's what Scripture tells us, and that's what Solomon also tells us as he's writing this book. The Scriptures, and especially Ecclesiastes, are given so that we too can draw this same inevitable conclusion. Look and see that all is meaningless without God. It's our attitudes to things on earth which need to be considered here. All life, all of the good things of earth are gifts of God, Solomon says. However, and are only fulfilling if they do not replace God and are always held as temporal and of little earthly or eternal value. For example... I love sailing. Love it, don't I? It gives me relaxation and enjoyment. I found a hobby which is exhilarating and good for me, mostly. <laughs> to enjoy sailing, I need a good boat, one that meets my needs. Now, there will come a time when I cannot sail my boat, either through old age or when I die, because I'm disappointed to read that the sea will be no more in heaven. Revelation 21. So this hobby is a gift to be enjoyed now and not in the eternal. This means that I can't make my hobby more than it actually is. I can't elevate it above God to something... Well, elevating it above God will actually be foolish and unwise. It doesn't make it a waste of time, however, enjoying sailing. It just means I have to have the correct perspective on it. As Solomon points out, it's to be enjoyed and viewed as a gift, but no more. We're allowed to do good things in this life. It might surprise you. I've heard plenty of people say you can't, but all the good things are a gift from God. You can do them. Just don't elevate them 
and make them worthwhile and don't, certainly don't elevate them to places where they're going to have some eternal value because they're not. Only Jesus has eternity, eternal value. See, we can only really enjoy life and the good gifts that God gives us when our hearts are actually fixed on God himself. See, we please him by acting in faith, the Bible says. Believing his promises and setting our hearts in righteousness. I say it again. Apart from God, we are nothing. So John 15, verses 5 to 8, a well-known saying, a well-known verse. Jesus says this, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Because this brings great joy and great glory to my Father. I have always, people have said to me, oh, look, it says in the Bible you can ask anything you want and you can have it. And they throw this verse out. But they take it out, strip it out from everything else and they go, hey, we can have anything. So come to God and God will give you everything you want. Every heart's desire of yours, God will give you. Everything will be great. And as a Christian, Life is good and set as it should be. And let me tell you, God does not give you everything that you want. But when our hearts are set on him, when our minds and our hearts are aligned to him, we know what to ask for because it will always bring glory to him, never to ourselves. So we must take verses and make sure that they are actually within the context of the whole and not just take something out because, oh, I, I fancy the latest Ferrari or whatever it might be. So here we have Jesus telling us in simple terms what the wisest man Solomon concluded as he collected Proverbs, sayings, and illustrations for life and brought them together in Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. In the end, we are nothing if we don't pursue relationship with God. That's it. Pursue relationship with God or everything else is meaningless. Now, I claim last week that Ecclesiastes, because it's written from this human wisdom, is therefore going to contain truth, half-truths and untruths. So I probably need to deal with this because I don't want people reading everything and going, hang on a second, he said everything was untrue in but I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it contains things that we need to be aware of can be taken as being untrue. Because remember, God is not in the equation when Solomon writes what he's writing. So, for example, this is definitely true. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honour him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Anyone got old? and gone, life's not very pleasant anymore. I'll tell you what, I'm not 60 yet, and my bones are creaking. Okay, I know that I can't enjoy my sailing as much as I used to, because I can't get from one side of the boat to the other quick enough to stop it capsizing anymore. And that's not much fun. So, remember, in the excitement of youth, 
not to forget your creator. Honour him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. That's fairly true, isn't it? I think that's a good, true statement. This is definitely true. Okay, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4. Now, true, but only half true. Okay, so let's go with this. Generations come and go, and generations go. But the earth never changes. Yeah, well, it's true that generations do follow one another. They go on and on. But it's not true that the earth remains forever. Because Psalm 102, 25 to 26 tells us that God, long ago, you laid the foundation of the earth and you made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing, but you will change them like a garment and discard them. So the earth is going to change. And we also know from later on in Scripture that the new earth and the new heavens are going to arrive in glory. So it's not true that the earth never changes. So what about these? Have we got th- oh, we've got three of them all there. Well, hey, nicely. Nicely done, Jamie. This is why I trust you. Chapter 2.24. So I decided that there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. 9.5. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. 3.19. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over animals. How meaningless. Any comment? Are they true? Or are they untrue? I think, looking at some of your faces, you're going, I'm not quite sure here. In fact, we know them to be untrue, or at least as we read them in isolation, we have this unnerving feeling that something's not quite right here. They can't be right, can they? It's scripture, but can that be right? Well, that unnerving feeling in us is the Holy Spirit challenging the wisdom of the world with revelation from God. So let's deal with chapter 3 and verse 19 in a little more detail. What it says is this, I'll just remind you, for people and animals share the same fate, both breathe and both must die, so people have no real advantage over the animals, how meaningless. It's there, it's in scripture, it says it. See, what Solomon observes here, and it's therefore the conclusion that all mankind will also arrive at without spiritual intervention, is that everything dies. We observe that. Humans, animals, everything dies. It's an inescapable observation. Therefore, the convention must be that we're all the same returning to the dust from whence we came, as this is the only observable fact available. However, chapter 3 and verse 11 makes a very, very important distinction, which actually all mankind knows is true and struggles with, struggles to make sense of it. And it's this. It says this in verse 11 of chapter 3. And yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time and he has planted eternity in the human heart. So how can that other statement be true? 
Because Solomon's already given us the distinction that Revelation gives to us, or gives to him. That God has placed something in the human heart which is eternal. God's preserved in us something of the eternal. We were made to be God's companions in the order of creation. You can read that in Genesis. There is something within us that speaks to us of life being meaningless unless we make sense of this spiritual draw. Now, we can conclude, maybe Solomon couldn't, or maybe Solomon could. He, he obviously observed that something in the human heart makes the human different because, well, there's something eternal there. So he's observed something, and we've actually observed as time has gone by, that all major discovered tribal or groups of people globally in this world, everybody, so undiscovered tribes, so if there's, if there's a tribe exists that we've not discovered yet, it's absolutely guaranteed that when we do discover them, there's something unique that they will have done. Every group of people that's ever been discovered has got a fixation with worship. It requires to worship something. An inbuilt quality that draws us to worship something. To attribute worth or to something, to something we can't quite grasp. Therefore, man has continually worshipped things like the sun, the moon, trees, and numerous other examples, including himself. It's like we've got an itch that we need to scratch. We can't find rest until we subdue this itch. Now, maybe Solomon also saw this as an observable fact. After all, he went off and worshipped other gods in his old age. If you don't believe me, read the account of that in 1 Kings. He actually went off away from God after all of the riches and everything else that God had given. He was deceived by his many wives and concubines and he went off and he went and served other gods. He saw firsthand that people worship gods, whether real or not. And perhaps this inspired the verse that God has placed something of the eternal in the hearts of humans. So whilst this is observable in humans, the same cannot be said of animals. And this is a quandary for human thinking, which Solomon also comments on. So Solomon knows that the statement that man and animals have not, no distinction is actually not true. In the grand scheme of things, it can't be. Because he's argued this distinction already. But the spirit, life, cannot be observed. He's taking and writing down things that are not in the spiritual realm. So the only observable fact here in this earthly thinking, in this earthly view, is that everything dies. And I can't and won't comment on what goes on after that, although I'm sure that we are acting differently because of this inbuilt need and desire to worship. So many earthly beliefs and baseless assumptions are actually made from misreading Ecclesiastes. So there's a quite a few things out there in the pseudo-Christian world where people have taken things from Ecclesiastes and gone, oh, okay, let's make this mean something for us. Annihilation and the lack of an eternal kingdom has been argued, argued using Ecclesiastes 3, verses 16 to 22. Everything gets annihilated. Everything just finishes. And soul sleep 
has been forwarded using chapter 9 and verse 5. All things that people have tried to add into Christendom, which have got no base at all, apart from a couple of verses, which I'm going to take out of context and pin, pin an ideal to it. You see, we should always read Scripture as a whole. And I'll never stop saying this to you. Read Scripture as a whole. Sentences form parts of paragraphs, and paragraphs form parts of letters or writings. Find out what the whole thing is about before you comment on one little verse, and you'll do all right. But if you continue to take one verse out, you're always going to quote and misquote Scripture, always. And you're always going to make it say what you want it to say. Unfortunately, that's the state of our heart and mind. That's what we do. And it's difficult to stop ourselves doing it. But so we should always read as a whole and see that at the beginning, man's wisdom only is employed in this writing. And that by the end, the unavoidable conclusion from all of this thinking and wisdom is this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13 and 14. This is what Solomon finishes his book with. That's the whole story. Everything I've written down is the whole story. That is beginning to end. Everything that's observable, I've written down. Now here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. Deal with that verse in a second. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, I said I'll deal with that verse. There's a word being added that's not in the Hebrew, which is why you need to be a little bit careful here. For this is everyone's duty is perhaps a poor interpretation of the original text which says that this is the whole of man. In other words, all of this observable fact, all of this stuff is the whole of man. It's what, it's what makes man complete. Fear God, obey his commands, for this is the whole of man. That's what you were created for. That's why you want to worship stuff. That's why you want to take God and move him out of the picture, but put something out in his place. That's what mankind does. Because we're searching for the wholeness, or the, what makes us whole, what makes us complete. So this word, this duty, doesn't actually appear in the Hebrew, and yet it's in most of our translations. So fearing God and obeying his commands completes us, makes us whole, as we were meant to be as we were meant to be right at the beginning, and as God is going to make us again in eternity with him. And we're on that progressive journey as Christians to being made whole. This is something that the entire volume of God's word contained in the scriptures implores us to do. The span of history from the day of creation to the end of the earth is all about our relationship with God and restoring it to where it should be. And we can do nothing about it so God sends Jesus to do it for us. And here is the whole of the Bible. Jesus came and paid the penalty for my sin, my unrighteousness. And now he covers, he stands before God in my place. So as God's looking at me, because I'm a sinner, as God's sweeping his eyes around and he's looking at us, Jesus gracefully steps in front of that so that God sees me through Jesus' righteousness. That's, isn't that amazing? 
Because if Jesus wasn't there and God's gaze swept across me, I would be seen for what I am. I've not pleaded the blood of Jesus. I've not got Jesus standing there and taking my sin and my death upon himself. So what do I deserve? I deserve death for my sin and separation from God. And God does not want that for his creation. We can choose to reject, but I hope we choose to take on board and accept that sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So I'll finish with this. It's not in the Bible, but it's an antidote. And that anecdote, this is worth uh, bearing in mind, I think. There we go. No thought is worth thinking that is not the thought of God. No sight is worth seeing unless it is seen through his eyes. And no breath is worth breathing without thanks to the one whose very breath it is. And that's what Ecclesiastes teaches us, that actually it's all about God and everything else is vanity. Anything else is vapor. Anything else is unchangeable. You can't do anything about it. Just go through life and die. That's the observable fact. But God did not abandon us and leave us like that. He sent Jesus to die for us and reclaim us into relationship with him because that's what we were made. That's what makes us whole. Everything else is just us trying to fill that hole with something else. Whether it be a hobby, if it takes control and it elevates itself above God, or whether it, be, it can be anything, worshipping the sun, nature, anything. But Jesus makes us whole. We are the whole of man when we fear God and follow his instructions. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.